All right, so we know that for all of recorded history as humans, we have survived and prospered by banding together, whether that's couples, uh, families, tribes, uh, whatever you want to call it. We're connected because there's this mutual protection, safety in numbers. And our, our mutual protection comes from our assistance being through that connection with each other. And that's been stated in this series really from, from week one, that God created us as social creatures. And we can only be our best when we're connected in deep relationships with one another. So nowadays, when we think about loneliness, we kind of just limit that to being, well, that's, that's really sad. It's really sad that someone is lonely. Poor, poor Jeremy, he's, he's so lonely. Um, but for a social species like us, if I, a species comes out of my mouth all the time. <laughs> well, um, there's a lot of, like, it's a saliva rule, word for yeah. me, species. <laughs> But, but it's, uh, it's true. We are a social species. Um, but being on the outside of the edge socially, being on the perimeter is not only sad, it's dangerous. Yeah. Do any of you remember the show um, Wild Kingdom? I need to see the hands. Let me see those hands. I see those hands. Yes, yes. Yes, I see those hands. Wild Kingdom. I loved it. Now, if you have been born in this millennia, <laughs> let me get tell you what Wild Kingdom is. Uh, just imagine it's more like a TikTok video about a safari uh, that's an hour long and it has commercials um, and Let's see. Oh, it also has a professional commentator as opposed to tourists who have their phones out and they're like, Billy, don't get too close to that gator. <laughs> don't get too close, Billy. Oh, Billy, you got too close. It's like that. Okay, so that, just imagine, like a long TikTok video. Now, on those videos, uh, not videos, on those TV shows, um, Wild Kingdom, this is what it reminds me of. Um, there were always those animals on the safari that were kind of on the perimeter of the herd. They were on that edge of the herd. Um, and for those animals on the edge, they were in real danger. Um, like, we all knew what was about to happen <laughs> for that poor, poor gazelle. The lions were not hunting in the middle of the herd. They were hunting on the edges where it was much easier to pick them off <laughs> one at a time. And this is what we so often heard on the wild kingdom. And sadly for that gazelle, there was but one outcome. Only one thing could happen, and it did every time. He, the lion, would just grab him and devour him. That's what happened. Now, that was my favorite part. That's why we watched it, <laughs> but um, and, and that's why we watched TikTok to see yeah. Billy get his head caught in the alligator's mouth. Now, as members of a social species, <laughs> uh, social species have brains that are wired very specifically to know, and this includes us humans, they're wired to know that being on the edge of everyone else is very dangerous. So being on the edge uh, makes our brains respond by going into a type of self-preservation mode. Yeah, the, the social perimeter is really an unsafe place to be for a social species. And, and most of us know what that feels like. I know I know, I know what that feels like. Harley probably knows what that feels like. Feeling like we're on the outside edge, looking in, wishing we were in the inner circle. Um, we're, as, as social species, we know that being on that perimeter is dangerous. In fact, it's unsafe. It's where people get picked off. It's you, if you've watched a TV show where there's a group of people and someone gets split off and they go in the dark cave by themselves or in the house that's dark, and you, you're, you're going, no, don't go yeah. there. Because you know that person that gets separated from the group is about to get whacked. Probably. Yeah. Um, so 
when I would watch Wild Kingdom, and I did as a kid growing up, I think it came on on Saturday mornings after the cartoons, if I remember right, but I, I could be wrong about that. Um, love that show. But you knew when you watched that animal that got separated from the group, you knew what was about to happen. You knew that when they were isolated from the safety of the group, that they were more vulnerable to the predators. And you knew it was going to happen. It was like watching the, the oncoming train and you just couldn't turn away from the train wreck. You just wanted to see what was going to happen. And as for humans, it's, a, it's not only a, a unhappy circumstance to be lonely, it's dangerous. It's uh, our brains, they're aware of this. They, they, um, they snap into this self-preservation mode that talk a little bit more about. Yeah. And so here's what studies are telling us about our bodies staying in this self-preservation mode for extended periods of time. If left unchecked, in other words, we stay in that self-preservation mode, one outcome is that an, an individual loses the ability to empathize with other people, which means they struggle greatly at putting themselves in the position of someone else or being able to see uh, what's going on in life from someone else's perspective. They can't see it from someone else's perspective, only theirs. They can't, they have a hard time of understanding someone else's feelings, only theirs, because uh, someone, um, they just have trouble taking that point of view of another person. And we find out through these studies that the lonelier that person is, the lonelier their brain is, the less empathetic that part of their brain that has empathy, the less that it is activated. That's what we found out. That's interesting because uh, they found that people with chronic loneliness, it's shown that when they're shown something in a negative uh, social context, that the parts of the brain that depict empathy over time, they stop lighting up. You've probably seen when they have people with machines and wires on their heads and all that. The, the part of that brain stops lighting up when they're shown those images from a negative social context. This is lonely people. And so part of the reason that that happens is the subject that they're doing the research on is in that self-preservation mode. So when something negative happens in a social environment, the brain is focused solely on the self-preservation with no concern for the other person. And much of this is triggered by the non-conscious mind. It's, it's not something that we even think about. We don't really have control over this process. Our brains and our bodies just respond that way. And they do it for us. It's a part of that self-preservation mode. You know, something happened to me, Jeremy, on the, the way here this morning that kind of highlights that. Is This just came to me. Our brains do so many things for us to protect us in this self-preservation, and we have no idea. We do not have to tell our bodies to react. Our brain does that, and, and it just does it without us being aware. One of those, so as we were driving in this morning, uh, a, a giant uh, crow... Um, almost didn't make it out of the way. We didn't see it, but it had it was swooping down, and it almost I almost nailed it with wow. my windshield. And so I did not have to say, "Oh, something's about to hit me. Mm -hmm. I better duck." Even though there's a windshield there, no, my brain. I was I did not have to tell my body right. to do that. That is self preservation. And that happens without, so exactly what Jeremy is saying, that's what happens. Your body, when you go into self-preservation mode, your body is going to do some things on your behalf that you cannot, in that moment, you cannot stop and you cannot change something in that, that we moment. we all know happens, but it's not something that we think about a lot. Exactly. It's, it's an unconscious thing. Not yeah. Non-conscious thing. So l let me give you uh, an example to kind of uh, paint this picture about self-preservation. When you feel isolated or you feel lonely, at somehow you are emotionally residing on the outside area of the social relational perimeter, okay? So as Jeremy said a moment ago, you're not in that like, I want to be in there. 
but you find yourself out here. When we are on that, and I have been there many, many times in my life, when we're on that perimeter and we don't feel like we're in there, we feel like we're out here by ourselves, we also have less of a desire to connect with other people. Now, this this is interesting to me because it's exactly what we need as a social creature, but our body says, no, 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 not safe. Don't connect. So here's what's going on. Your body, on your behalf, without you being aware of it, your brain has gone into this self-preservation mode, which here's another word picture for you, this hyper-vigilance in a social threat. So we're not, you don't have a physical threat. This is a social threat. And your brain goes into this hyper-vigilant mode. It's simply a big word to say your brain is really trying to protect you. And this hypervigilance or hyperawareness means that we are actually looking for and we will find threats. And in the case of humans, we're going to find social threats. Even if there's not really a threat to us emotionally or socially, We're going to find them in there. Simply put, here's what's happening. We're really on this perimeter. We really are just poisoning ourselves from future connections. And as I said before, we we know this about ourselves. If we're looking for dangers in this this hypersensitive way, we will find them. Um, the, The point that we're trying to make is that you can find danger, whether it's there. And I'll give you an example of that. Yeah, great. Carly, uh, since you mentioned the crow almost hit yeah. the windshield, I was driving the other day and I went under a tree and the, I was, I was not paying attention to the tree or the shade that the tree was providing over the road, but the shadow passed over the windshield. There was no danger there. And I jerked and I was yeah. like, what was, Oh, you couldn't stop it. Could you? Shadow. Yeah. You, and you couldn't stop no, that. Couldn't stop it. It was just an involuntary reaction. Yeah, involuntary. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, have, have you ever watched a deer? My deer hunters out here. Um, uh, every five seconds for a deer. I'm not a good deer, but I'd be a beefy one. Pretty good. Looking at you with that one eye. Every five seconds they pop up because they are in self-preservation mode. They are looking and scanning the horizon, scanning everything they can see for danger around every corner. And for us, if we are looking that closely, it means that we're going, we're setting ourselves up for a negative interaction with other people because we're looking so closely for any sign of danger that they may pose to us emotionally in our own lives. In other words, look for danger hard enough and you'll find it, whether it's there or not. And that threat surveillance of always looking for the next foe, it does something to our brain. It activates these these neurobiological mechanisms inside your body that can degrade your health and actually lead to an an early death. Um, Loneliness and our auto response of self-preservation also increases our defensiveness. Because when you're focused on your own safety and you know, rather than giving consideration to the fears and the concerns of other people that are in the room, um, you just you think about being on the edge of that that social herd and how uh, defensive we can become. You, you you start wondering, you know, are these people talking about me? I, I bet they're gossiping about me over there in that corner. Um, they're talking negatively. But I just know it. They're they're talking, you know, and you you become hypersensitive and aware. In a, in a way that might not even be true. I mean, the truth is they're probably just talking about their kids. They're, they're probably just talking about their jobs. But we're, when we're on the edge of that social herd, that, that social environment, 
that's not what we think. Yeah. And here's what that hypersensitivity does for us. Uh, it happens to me. It happens to you. It, it makes us kind of take this giant magnifying glass as if we have it over every person that we have a potential interaction with. We're on the outside. We put this magnifying glass on them and we are able to take the slightest little tiniest little thing that they may say or an expression on their face, the slightest thing that may truly mean nothing at all. And we magnify that into a threat. We magnify that, which only pushes us further to the outside. It becomes this cycle. We're on the outside. Then we look really, really hard for threats. We magnify it. It pushes us to the outside. And it just is this cycle that we repeat. Loneliness kind of makes us fall victim to all kinds of unhealthy, impulsive behaviors that, that in, the, in a moment that we don't really have control of. Our body's just doing it. Loneliness increases this, this thing um, called cortisol. So when you wake up in the morning, with loneliness, we have an increased level of cortisol, which is dangerous. Uh, cortisol is a powerful stress hormone that we need. That stress hormone that's released throughout your body, it prepares us for, in this case, in the morning when we wake up, if we're lonely and under stress, it prepares us for yet another dangerous day. It's preparing us for that instant extra power we need to run away from a threat. It gives us that extra power that we need in a moment um, to fight if that's what we need to do. And we were not meant to live day in, day out like a deer lives. We weren't meant to live with those high levels of cortisol with that hormone in our body all day long. Can you kind of see what, where we're headed here? That level of cortisol all day long coursing through your body, not meant to live that way with that powerful hormone all day long, it damages our bodies. Can you see how loneliness can bring about some negative effects in our lives? And if that's not enough, it doesn't end when our day ends. Because, come on, if, if it's dangerous to fend off a wild beast by yourself with a stick, imagine how dangerous it would be to lay that stick down at night and go to sleep, right? Unprotected from the herd. So here, here, here's an example of that. When you're used to having people in your in your house all the time, and especially at night, everybody goes to bed, and the house, you know, you got people in your house, and the house is full. When everyone's gone on a trip, and you find yourself that first night alone, and you go to bed, if you're like me, you don't sleep very well because you have a little cortisol running through your body because now you every single you're aware. When you don't notice them before, you're aware of every single sound in your house. And you're aware of every single sound outside. And you think to yourself, if you're me, you think to yourself, wow, I didn't realize I could hear every sound outside. There's not much separating me from the outside world except this wall, which apparently sound can get through really easy. So anybody else probably could too. So you're, you're not, you got that cortisol rushing. You're hearing everything. You're not resting. You're your every noise, it makes you hypersensitive to everything that's outside. It makes me hypersensitive. And people way smarter than, than me have studied this, um, this self-preservation caused by loneliness and found that it really does increase the number of times that you wake up through the night. Um, and adequate sleep is imperative, very important, to something very important, which is good health. It's been studied extensively. And there's actually a name for this, something that we don't say very often, but it's called uh, sleep salubrity. I hope I got that right. Oh, you did great. And I'm going to read this definition so that I don't mess this up, I, you know, or this, this statement, because this is very, very important. We're getting down there to where we need to understand what's going on here. 
Um, living in a constant state of self-preservation caused by loneliness increases fragmentation of sleep and thereby decreases the detoxification of stressful days over the course of the night. So, meaning our bodies can't get rid of these harmful toxins that we build up through the day with the stresses and everything that we deal with. If we can't cleanse those out over time, it can lead to real health problems. And there's much more research that connects loneliness with a multitude of negative physiological and psychological responses that lead to poor health and an early death. We could geek out on this, yeah. but I'm probably above my pay grade. On me too, me too. But it's enough for me to understand. This is important. So the basic question is this. If loneliness is really that dangerous, and science confirms that it is, then what can we do about it? We've looked at this topic every single week of this series. Because when you think about this, after all, so when, when we feel hungry, our bodies remind us, hey, go eat. When we feel thirsty, our bodies are like, hey, you're going to need some water. Go get some water. But here's the problem. When we feel the pain of loneliness, we don't have a pantry full of friends unless you have a weird, weird <laughs> group of friends. You don't have a pantry full of friends that you can go to and just simply connect. You don't have relationships available by just going to turn on the faucet and have relationships. And as we've discovered, Research has proven that our access to social networking, I'm on it all the time, but here's what research says. It is not a replacement for, it is not meeting our human need for the comforting touch of a friend. So what do we do? What is the path out of loneliness? What are some steps? So in week one, we talked about the need to um, that we were created to connect with, to dwell with, and worship God um, for all of eternity. And then in week two, we talked about how it's not only enough to connect with God, but we needed to connect with others. We, we have to connect and dwell with one another on purpose. And that takes time. Um, it takes effort. Not to simply dwell with them, but also to get eye to eye with a few people, gazing into their lives, letting them gaze into our lives. And then last week, we kind of leveled up and said that as you dwell, as you gaze into the lives of other people around you and you allow them to gaze into your lives, we, um, we have to be interested. We have to be curious enough. If we're taking that personal responsibility, what, what we have to take initiative sometimes to go out and be curious and interested enough to ask some questions. Um, use your voice and use your service to build those significant lasting connections. And a great way to begin to show interest in someone is by serving them. Sometimes talking is not enough. Um, we need to actually serve. And then this week, we want to wrap things up. When we feel lonely, what is our personal responsibility? What are we to do? We're going to try to find that out. Is it enough to just have the information but not put it into practice? Is the information alone enough to cure loneliness? Well, uh, we're going to find out that according to the brother of Jesus, no, the answer is no to that. Information alone is not enough. It's not going to handle it. In fact, James, um, he puts it a little more bluntly in the letter that he wrote, and God ensured that this was recorded as part of our new covenant. And here's what James, the brother of Jesus, said. Um, and just side note here, some scholars believe that James, this letter that he wrote, was actually the first, uh, uh, the first letter, the first communication that we have that God intended for the new covenant. So this was before any of the other letters had been written, before the gospels had been written. This was the first thing. Here's what James had to say. James 1.22, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. And then he says, not so quietly. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. Okay, now 
There is no other explanation that is needed for that. Right. And the next passage might be one that you haven't really ever associated with loneliness, but yet it has everything to do with eradicating loneliness in our lives because it's part uh, that leads to God's plan that leads us closer to his ultimate plan for our lives, a plan where fear and loneliness ultimately die, a plan that offers a rich and fulfilling life that we've been talking about, like we talked about last week. So to wrap this up, let's look at this passage in context. Yeah, so here's the context. Matthew um, is telling us about a time that happened very often, but yet another time uh, that the religious leaders were trying to trap Jesus so they could get rid of Jesus. Now, the uh, religious leaders of that day had already placed the old uh, covenant laws in what they felt like was the order of importance, but they had not yet really decided what is the greatest, what is the most important. So they use this hot issue, and very clearly, Matthew tells us that they are trying to trap Jesus. They use this hot issue, and they're asking, which is the greatest law? And here's how Matthew records that. Um, They come up to Jesus. They say, teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Now, Jesus, uh, he's as Jesus could only do in his Jesus way, he completely bypasses their debate and he quotes what's called the Shema, which every single Jew knew since they were old enough to have words. They knew this and he, and he quotes it pretty much verbatim. Here's what he says in verse 37. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Okay, so if you're like me, if you grew up around church at all, or even grew up around someone who grew up around church, um, that that's not new. You know that first and foremost, we are to love God with everything that's inside of us. Um, but Jesus goes on. This gets really, really interesting. He says this in verse 39. And a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two. Yeah. So in my Western mind, um, here's the way I handle what Jesus just said there. I give it an order. You know, do you do that? You put them in a priority. That's what I do. That's what my mind does. So first, we're going to put this across Jeremy's chest there. First one is love God. Check. Okay, that's my first order. Need to do that. Secondly, I need to then love others. Okay, check. Now, uh, uh, you know, this next one, I never really personally included this next one on my list, but, you know, Jesus did mention it, so I guess we better as well. Third, love yourself, check. Now, I'm checking that not because like I do that. I'm saying now check because it has made it onto my list, not because check as if I've done that (laughs) because I'm no good at that. But you know what's interesting? I often never get to that third one that says love yourself. I, I don't usually get to that on my checklist. And equally interesting For most people who do get to the third one, those people you rarely get to the first two. I find that interesting. Yeah, but don't miss this. The way I understood it, and possibly the way you've understood it too, is not how Jesus phrased this. Let me say that again. The way that I have understood this in the past, and maybe the way you have understood this, that list, that prioritization, is not how Jesus framed this. Yeah. The way Jesus phrased this implies that the second commandment is set alongside the first commandment. He says the second is like it. In other words, these are equal commandments. And that has a very different meaning from the way that I've looked at it in the past, which is an ordered list of importance. First do this, second do this, and third do this. Yeah, me too. And so to put this all in perspective, I believe what Jesus is saying to his social creatures that he created, 
we, us, humans, I'm talking about you and me. If, if I'm not clear on that, this, this is us. Jesus is saying that loving others and loving ourselves is just as important as loving God. Oh, whoa. You I, uh, wait a second. I, are, are you sure? That doesn't sound right. That's not what I was taught. I was modeled something else for me. I mean, that doesn't sound at all very churchy. It sounds kind of me-y. But you can go check it out for yourselves. We didn't change it. That's what he said. That's what it says. But please don't miss the next thing that Jesus said. He says that everything, not most things, not a portion of things, not a few of these things. He says everything depends on this. Everything hinges on this. So if one of these things that we've been talking about, loving God, loving others, loving ourselves, is out of alignment, it's going to affect the whole, the whole bunch. Yeah. Now, McKinley's going to help me out here, and, and in my imperfect way, we're going to try to illustrate this for us. We live in a three-way symbiotic relationship. That means they're all connected equally to each other here. Uh, this circle of relationships that McKinley has on the screen, all right? This is God's design. Um, well, I designed this circle graph, but in the real sense, he designed this relationally. This is the way it's designed, this three-way symbiotic relationship. But if I don't love others well, I can't love God well. This is the truth here. And if I don't love myself well, I can't love others well, all right? So here's, here's what happens is we see that we have this graph now stopped. It's not functioning. And, and kind of the picture we have here, see that triangle that goes from self? We have two lines that are going then one to others and one to God. But if something is wrong with the way I love myself, this three-way symbiotic relationship designed by God, as we have just seen revealed in the words of Jesus, it is broken and it will not function. If I don't love others well, I can't love God well. If I don't love myself well, I can't love others well. To have a proper, uh, a proper love for myself, I must first have a proper love for God. So back to this circle of relationships. This is what he designed. He designed it. Our life is connected. We are not in this life alone. By his design, we are connected. And here's what we hope. As we have gone through this and as we have studied this, this kind of became an, oh, now I see kind of moment for us. If we can't do one of these well, here's what we're saying, and here's what Jesus was saying. If we can't do one of these well, we don't do any of them well. If I don't love others well, I can't love God well. If I don't love myself well, I can't love others well. You see, I'm not designed to be just me, my own man, and take care of my business and not worry about anybody else. I'm not designed for that. God did not design me isolated. And I'm not created to just focus on you and just make you my focus and just serve you. No. And guess what? This is huge. This was an oh, now I see moment for me. Listen, I'm not even created to just love God. Let me say that again. I'm not created by God, designed by God to just love God. 
We are not designed for it to be only Jesus and me. In other words, saying, all I need is Jesus and me, and and I'll experience a rich and full life that he promised. No, 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 no. It's not Jesus and me, and I'm happy. He didn't design it that way. Jesus said, there is more. His words, he described it. There is more. All of these things, these three areas that he just highlighted, they are all on the same level. This is so important. This was for me an oh, now I see moment. They're all on the same level. With the same intensity. This just blows my mind. Words of Jesus, same intensity. Jesus said there is more. Same level, same intensity, your love for God. Same level as your love for others, same intensity, and same as your love for yourself. We are created for community. It reminds me of, I don't remember what week it was, and I don't remember if it was Cole or Harley that was here, but talking about when God actually said something wasn't good. Oh, yeah. That that we needed to be in community. The reason that he created Eve and Adam together, and it created this beautiful, messy embrace, whatever you want to call it. But it's, um, we are created to be connected with one another. Uh, mess and all and everything that is involved. Is, right. it, it is messy. So let's bring all this down to today. Here's what we're going to ask you this morning as we begin to think, okay, Harley, what can I do? Here we go. For you, which one of these three areas do you feel that maybe you struggle with the most as far as love? Now, um, just a a note here. If you see things jumping on the screen, you might need to go get your eyes checked. (laughs) That looks perfectly normal to me. I don't know about (laughs) y'all. So I'm going to try to interpret these. Each one of these, we have one missing. Which one for you? On the first one, we're maybe we're maybe we're doing okay with others and self, but maybe we haven't been loving God the way we need to with that intensity and that focus. Or maybe, maybe we're doing okay with God and self, but we've been not really loving other people. We've led a life that says, just as long as I'm okay with God, me and God, we're okay. We're okay over here. We really don't need people. We don't need organized religion, blah, 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 blah. I've heard lots of things, but maybe that's it. Loving, uh, maybe loving others, or maybe it's the loving to sell. That, that, I, I'm going to tell you right now, for Harley, that's me. That's me. I honestly hate myself, and I struggle with that. So I know what mine is right now. But what is yours? What is it for you that that part that you struggle? Because we understand this. If we don't do one of these well, we don't do any of them well. And I'm going to go so far as to say, because our lives are messy, Jeremy, I'm going to go so far as to say today that every single one of us in this room, we are represented by one of those. In other words, we all today have a next step. Where do you feel like that you're struggling? Where do you feel like that you you aren't loving this one area that Jesus talked about specifically and, and we're not loving it with the same intensity or the same way we're loving the others? Do you say, yeah, things are good between me and God. I'm just, I struggle with others. Or do you say, I, I've never really considered just how I should actually actually love myself. I can't hate what God created and be okay with God. What is it for you? These are relevant questions. So this week, we're asking you, will you identify for you which area you are struggling with personally? So that, that's it. Here's it. Let's, number one step for today, let's uh, identify for ourselves where we sometimes fall short at loving either God, others, or ourselves. 
But as we said just a moment ago, let's not stop and just be content with just identifying with information. And we don't want to just identify with information. Because if we're going to love correctly, uh, uh, DC Talk is correct. I throw that out for Harrison. DC Talk is correct. Uh, love is a verb. Um, go look that up if it makes no sense. Google it. Love is a verb. Uh, it is. So there's action involved. All right. Action involved. And so throughout this series, we have encouraged you to find a person, be in the process of finding a person for your life, a person you can dwell with, uh, a person that you can gaze into their life, they can gaze into yours, mess and all. So this week, to wrap up this series, here's what we're asking you to do. Will you take a step towards what we have been talking about this whole series? We're asking you to find someone inside, within this church, because very specifically, we're talking about this local body, this local gathering that God has pulled together, that Jesus has pulled together. We're trying to be that church, this local body. We're not talking about church on the grand scale right now. This local body, we're trying to be that church that God desires. So will you... Identify one person and take a step toward more intimacy in that and reach out to them this week. And will you let that person know which area you're struggling with in loving God, others, or yourself? And we're going to ask you to do this. Here's step number two. Will you tell them face to face? Not on the phone, not in a text, not in an email, not in a paper airplane, face-to-face. -face. Will you get face-to-face -face and be transparent enough to tell you? And here's what we want you to do. Will you then ask them to pray for you regarding that? Will you pray for me? But also, will you ask them to help keep you focused, to help keep you accountable? What does that mean? Well, it, this could mean a million different things. Each person in this room, that could mean something different for. Let me just give you one example. Maybe it means this, perhaps. For someone, it could mean this. To hold me accountable in this process. Maybe you say, if they, if they don't see you, maybe, at a worship gathering like this on a Sunday morning here at Stuttgart Harvest Church, if they don't see you at a worship gathering for maybe two weeks in a row, maybe you have given them permission to say, hey, to check in with you that week. Hey, is everything okay? Because I, I haven't seen you gathering with the church as the church has been gathering. You see, we can't love the church like he desires if we don't gather when the church gathers. Now, that's just one way someone could hold you accountable. But there are hundreds, hundreds of, way, of ways. So that doesn't have to be yours. That is one mere example. information that we have taught in this series is not enough to do anything for anyone about loneliness. It is going to take work and it's going to take action. This circle of relationship right there. If you want that rich and satisfying life that Jesus promised you and that he has designed for you. It's going to include these things. Loving God, loving others, and loving ourselves in a proper balance. Let's commit to changing. In all of our lives, let's commit to being a part of that changing and looking more and more like what God wants it to look like. Let me pray for us right now. Jesus, you're God. And you came to fix the sin problems of this world. And God, loneliness is a byproduct of a broken world. And specifically, my sin is part of that sin problem. 
And that means, Jesus, when you shed your blood on the cross and you died, that means you died for me too and all my sinning friends. And as a result, I can now give my life to you. And you can then become my savior and become my boss, the boss of my life. Jesus, I pray that you would help me. And I pray that you would help my friends called Stuttgart Harvest Church. And our friends across the state called the church in Malvern. I pray that you would help us to become everything that you desire as we love you and as we love others and as we love ourselves. May we see our lives eternally connected to you through Jesus. And may we become, may we become with your help, Jesus, may we become the church that you desire. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. I'm glad you've been here. I want you to remember, it's not the quantity of friends. It is the quality of a few relationships. That's what actually matters. And I hope that we will try as a church to get these relationships right. Listen, it's going to be messy. Because this side of heaven, we won't ever have these right, this side of heaven. Not perfectly. But let's not stop trying to get them better and better and better, all with God's help. See, Jesus is the one who started these small, some small and some large gatherings of believers called the church all over this world. It's his plan. It's his idea. And he said to each one of them, now go and connect, connect to other people in your world, connect them with Jesus and then connect them with other believers. And that makes us, as a church, part of God's current plan in the world right now, at this very moment. His plan to change the world, and it involves you, the church. Last week, we're going to talk about these coins. There's still a few back here behind the sound booth. You could grab one if you don't have one. The last three words on this... The F-O stands for focus. We want to focus as a church on what God has called us to do. We can't do everything out there in the world, but we want to focus on what God has called us, Stuttgart Harvest Church and the church in Malvern, to do. And that's why we as a church have to keep changing. And that's what the C-H stands for, change. We have to keep changing the way we do things. We don't change the reason of why we do things. We change the way we do it so that we can slowly, over the course of time, do that better and better as a church, better and better. And that's also why we as a church have to continue to multiply. That's what the MU stands for, multiply. We as a church have to multiply on every single level. We have to multiply followers of Jesus. We have to multiply uh, serving teams. We have to multiply small groups. And even as God tells us to do so, which is why the church in Malvern exists, we have to multiply churches when God says go. Multiplication. On every level, it means that we really are beginning, we're starting to do what Jesus commanded us to do. And our mission as a church is this, loving the Father, family, and friends. And let's commit to do that as Stuttgart Harvest Church and as the church in Malvern. Let's commit to do that together. Let's commit to be the kind of church that Jesus 
died for. And we're asking you specifically, everyone who's here today and everyone listening online or who will listen to this later, help us. We need you to help us to do just that, to be that. We need you to live that. Let's pray one last time together today. And our simply, our prayer is this. Jesus, help us to be that kind of church that you died for. One that worships you with our whole lives. Help us to be that. One that accepts other people around us not expecting them to change before they get here, but we accept them right where they are. And we love them through the process that you have taken us and are taking us through, God. Change that happens one step at a time, slowly over the course of our lives. And help us to be that church, that community, as we recognize that care starts there. God, we ask that you help us to begin serving. Understanding that we don't get our lives all together and get better and then go serve. But God, we serve to get better. God, help us to focus our efforts. God, help us to continue changing so that we can be more and more effective. And God... Would you help us to multiply disciples, multiply groups, multiply serving teams? And as you say, God, to even multiply churches when you say go. God, help us to be what you desire. The church you died for, Jesus, help us to be that. In your name we pray these things. Amen. Amen.